0: You're listening to The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe, your escape to reality.
1: Hello and welcome to The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. Today is Wednesday, January 1st, 2014, and this is your host, Stephen Novella. Joining me this week are Bob Novella. Hey, everybody. Rebecca Watson.
2: Hello, everyone.
1: Jay Novella. Hey, guys. And Evan Bernstein.
0: Greetings, everyone. Hello, happy, happy new, new year. year, everybody.
3: Yeah, Medi- happy
1: Medi- new year. Yeah. Trust you guys all survived the, the late
3: evening last night. We darely. I, I happen to both be sick and tired right now. Aw. You have the flu? It's, I don't know. How do you know when you have the flu versus Did a you bad get, cold? Have you coughed up a lung? There was a little bit of that, but I, I don't, you know, I don't really know if it was the flu, though. Isn't the flu, like, really fever, bad? don't you? It's really bad.
0: Well, and you all got your flu shots, right? Oh, yeah. I got uh, mine. I got mine. I got the type. It's a quadrivalent. I got the I quadrivalent vaccine this year. How did you get the quad? Because I searched around for it and nobody in my area was providing it.
1: So I get it free from Yale. Yeah. It happens to
0: work oh, for one of them.
2: Doctor <laughs> <man>. Yeah. <laughs> well, look at the bright side, Jay. At least you are not being murdered by Thomas Edison via electrocution. That's that would true. suck. Yeah. Uh, I bring it up because today, January 4th, is the death date of poor topsy the elephant who was murdered by thomas edison january 4th 1903 topsy was deemed a hazard to trainers because she had killed one trainer and like sort of roughed up a couple of others but you know the the one she killed burned her trunk with a cigar and the ones that she roughed up were hitting her with a pitchfork. So I'm on Topsy's side. Okay, here. self-defense.
3: Would you say that Topsy was a rogue elephant? <laughs>
4: when Topsy, <laughs> an
3: actual term,
4: rogue elephant. I'd, I'd kill somebody if they burned my trunk.
3: <laughs> Rebecca, when they killed Topsy, did did he go topsy turvy?
2: Well, first of all, Topsy's a she, not a he.
3: Okay, uh, how's I supposed of
2: all, to know? Yes, Yes, I don't know. I don't know elephant
3: named things. You know what I mean? Yeah, Tipsy is a guy named. Oh, Tipsy. Okay, (laughs) Tipsy.
2: Yeah, uh, Topsy was thirty-six when she was killed, and. She was supposed to originally be hanged, which what? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know.
0: I don't That's know. A big if, gallows. Is some other
2: elephants had been hanged? If that was considered the appropriate way to punish an elephant for lashing out at the people keeping it captive and beating it? Well, at least we know the
3: male elephants were well hung. Oh, what anyway, come on. Uh,
4: <laughs> All right, that wasn't too bad.
2: The ASPCA, the Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, intervened, and uh, instead of being hanged, it was decided that Topsy would be electrocuted, at the suggestion of Thomas Edison, who was engaging in a campaign against uh, George Westinghouse. Uh, At the time, George Westinghouse was promoting the use of alternating current and Edison was a DC fan. How'd that work and, out for him? Uh,
5: um,
2: not so well. Not so good. <laughs> I mean, it worked out better for him than it worked for Topsy. Um, but yeah, I mean, and so he wanted to use AC current as a way to, and then film it, film the death of the elephant, which he did as a way to frighten people. Um, you know, make them scared of using AC. So, yeah, Topsy was given a bunch of carrots laced with cyanide and then delivered a 6,600 volt AC current uh, through her body, which killed her. Mm -hmm. Cruel and unusual. Very cruel, ridiculously stupid. Humans are the worst, basically. And
1: apparently Edison killed multiple animals with this way in his campaign to fearmonger about alternating current, and he called the the process being Westinghoused.
6: <laughs> nice,
0: very what nice. a jerk! Wow. <laughs> it's such a jerk. Wow, he could have done it to a of person. Course, I wonder if he would have gone that far.
2: Westinghouse, on his part, was busy beating kittens to death with sticks and calling it being Edison. So yes, <laughs> <laughs> you just got Edison. Wow. <laughs>
3: Yeah, uh, you know, it sounds like hey, he's I, a real ass. I mean, all the stuff that I've read about him, a lot of it's negative.
2: Well, you know, I guess you don't get very far <laughs> if you're not a horrible sociopath.
1: Sociopaths are good for society. Is that what you're saying, Rebecca? Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. what I'm
2: saying. I've once shot an elephant for in my
4: progress. pajamas. <laughs>
2: not an elephant in your pajamas. <laughs> I've got a dead
3: dog in my garden.
1: <laughs> well, guys, it's that time of year, meaning the first episode of the calendar year. We like to review psychic predictions for the previous year to see how they did. So I'm sure you guys all picked your favorite psychic and tracked their predictions for 2013. So, for example, I went to paranormal.about.com and they had psychic predictions for 2013. They had a bunch of different psychics. I guess these were the uh, the best ones that they had. So Lamont Hamilton, just run down his predictions. Here we go. A new comprehensive major immigration reform law will be signed into law. Uh, A global UN tax will be enacted this year. Uh, A mind-to-mind telepathy telecommunication device will be developed for the mentally ill. I don't know why the mentally ill would be using it.
3: Mm. <laughs> <laughs> they're just just—they're crazy about it, Steve. Yeah,
1: they're just crazy about it. Philadelphia, New Hampshire, and or Connecticut will experience the effects of an earthquake After church bells ring from the aftershocks this year. Wrong. A truce is seen in the Middle East before late summer. Wrong. Supreme Court Justice Ruth Gingrich steps down from the Supreme Court. Wrong. Prince William and Kate have a baby girl. All right. 50-50. And he blew it. (laughs) 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 They did have a boy, Prince Charles. 50-50. But I think he went for the girl because he says, whom many will believe is the reincarnation of Princess Diana.
4: Oh, God. Yeah. I don't know
1: why don't Prince know. George can't be the reincarnation of Princess Diana. <laughs> Nothing. All right. The new Madrid <laughs> fault line will become more active this year from uh. late summer. I mean, again, with the earthquakes, I mean, earthquake predictions don't count. There are earthquakes everywhere all the time.
4: Well, unless you gave something like, uh, California's going to experience an 8.3 blah, blah, blah. If you really got crazy. Yeah. Stuff give, which, me some, course, give me some, give me some, some
1: magnitude numbers and some dates. And specific yeah. locations. Otherwise, you know, it's just pointless. right. Otherwise, you're saying, I'm a fraud making high probability predictions. That's what you're saying.
4: It's skeptics anyway. Which is basically what yeah. they're saying anyway.
1: Three airlines will merge into one umbrella company after another major carrier goes bankrupt in the U.S.
0: Mm-hmm. Missed Two, that. but not three.
1: Yeah, I missed that one. Political revolution will attempt to bring down Saudi Arabian dynasty. No. Severe drought in southern U.S. greater than seen over hundred years wrong. Uh, so I mean, keep going. This guy's just batting zero square or tubular. I think tubular, we get the idea. Square or tubular UFOs will be commonly reported <laughs> with more sightings around military installations, including the Middle East and Israel.
2: Square well, or more
0: tubular. Than what? Talk about I mean, covering your bases. What the hell yeah. are you talking about?
1: <laughs> oh, there's a good one from Vicky Monroe. It's just that, you know, it's one thing to be wrong, but sometimes they're just spectacularly wrong. So, mm-hmm. so Vicky says Congress will deal with gun control. Automatic weapons and high-powered rifles, semi-automatics that be that belong in war zones will be removed and only used in situations where they are absolutely necessary. The opposite happened. Congress totally failed to do anything about gun control, even following the Newtown shooting, when the political pressure to do something was at its maximum, and yeah. nothing happened. That would yeah, have actually- been the prediction.
0: Action only happened on the state levels and nothing happened yeah, at the federal level. Exactly.
1: Jay, you'll appreciate this one. Tom Cruise will leave the Church of Scientology.
3: Oh, God. If that happened, how epic would that be? Right. He walked out the front door and walked back in. I <laughs> still have hope.
2: <laughs> I think the saddest of the psychic predictions from paranormal.about.com is at the end with the amazing Kreskin, who I did not, I mm-hmm. sincerely did not realize was still alive. <laughs> um, his. Uh-huh. His predictions are things. There are only four, so I'll just read them all. The biggest movie stars will come cheap because Hollywood is in bog trouble. I assume that's big trouble. Yeah. Much movie making will move to India. The return of the gossip columnists from people on the street. College students will find it harder and harder to find jobs and families will rediscover the family dinner table. In other words, like The Amazing Crest Kid made predictions from 1992 <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and has just been continuing to make them year after year after year, I think.
1: It's like that Crusty the Clown film clip from 40 years ago. I heartily <laughs> endorse this event or product. Yes, I <laughs> love it. <laughs> uh, canned predictions from the 1990s. Uh, yeah. Well, we love
0: Psychic Nikki mm-hmm. here. And oh, her yeah. name comes up every now and again on the show. Here are some of her wonderful predictions from 2013. Let's see. A fire and explosion at a subway in New York City kills many. Now, there was a fire in the New York City subway system. There was no explosion. Nobody was hurt. So that's a a miss. Uh, She said there would be a chemical attack on the United States. Nope. Did not happen. Thank goodness. Uh, She predicted that, like, in 2012, another cruise ship will break in half. I imagine she's referring to the, uh, ship that, uh, capsized in Italy, but that didn't happen either. Uh, she predicted another super storm like Sandy hitting the United States, Canada, and Europe. Nope. Uh, nope. And that would have been a heck of a storm to hit, uh, North America and Europe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, nuclear attack on New York. Now, how, uh, Nikki, are, are you, what, what is it? What do you have against New York here? I mean, <laughs> Seriously Nuclear attack <laughs> Don't think so Earthquake in the Caribbean Nope Cuba and Puerto Rico Becoming part of the USA uh, Cuba
1: what? what Puerto Rico's okay. already
0: A protectorate
1: Right. Yeah. So,
0: what is she talking about here? A huge earthquake in St. Louis, Missouri, Chicago, and Tennessee. No, that's not to say the Midwest doesn't experience their share of earthquakes, but they are mild. They are not huge. So that one's vague by any It's measure. too
1: vague to be wrong. It's just vague.
0: The a possible landing of a spaceship. Ooh. Now that's vague. <laughs> I mean, well, oh my god! god. Or, or, or any it's spaceship? It's yeah, be more mean,
1: vague. What the heck is she talking about? That was the the uh, Jade Rabbit on the moon.
2: No, oh, yeah. Right. I, yeah. It,
0: it, right. It could have referred to that. Right. It could have Um an attack on the Vatican and Pope. No, didn't happen.
1: Oh she missed one of her best ones ever. Giant prehistoric sea monsters under the sea. <laughs> oh yeah, that to... was in
2: that movie with the big robots. She doesn't Pacific say Rim. what
1: will happen, just giant prehistoric sea monsters under the sea.
2: Yeah, she was predicting that. Pacific Rim. Yeah. But here's <laughs> my
1: here's my favorite one of hers. Experimental monkeys escape. The lab causing a pandemic.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. I think she's watching too many that movies. That was Planet of the
5: Apes.
2: <laughs> and I think that came out in twenty twelve.
0: Or outbreak or yeah, she's
2: just predicting
3: last year's movie themes. <laughs> a lot of these sound like they're just on drunken benders, you know? Like
4: <laughs> Guys, let's talk about some of the stuff they didn't predict that they absolutely should have predicted. Okay. Well, uh, I'll yeah. throw out uh, the, I media. Mean, how about the, the, the meteor. R- the meteor, right? The Russian meteor. How, how big is that? That that was huge. The Boston bombing. Boston bombing, resignation mm. of uh, Pope Benedict. That was that was kind of unprecedented. So uh, nobody predicted Sylvia Brown was going to die. Yep. Not even uh, Sylvia Brown. Not, not even, even her. Right. She was off by yeah. many years. They just conveniently just forget that their track record is total crap and the fact that they didn't predict any of the real good stuff that did happen that they most Well, likely that's not predicted. true,
3: Bob. That's not true. Somebody what? did make some damn accurate predictions 50 years ago. Okay. 1964, Isaac Asimov made uh, quite a few predictions. So it's been 50 years and he specifically uh, made these predictions for the year 2014. He said communications will become sight, sound, and you will see as well as hear the person you telephone. The screen can be used not only to see the people you call, but also for studying documents and photographs and reading passages from books. Uh synchronous satellites hovering in space will make it possible for you to direct dial any spot on Earth, including the weather stations in Antarctica. Uh he also said robots will neither be common nor very good in twenty fourteen, but they will be in existence. And I thought about that one for a while wow. and I think he's pretty accurate. You know, they're here, yeah. but yeah. they're not they're not, you know not walking around the street, you yeah. Know. He said, uh, home. he said the appliances of 2014 will have no electric cords, of course, for they will be powered by long-lived batteries running on uh, radio isotopes. Oh, boy. Well, that was wrong. Yep. Yeah.
2: As you said that, I noticed that my iPad was almost dead.
3: <laughs> he said uh, <laughs> no. much effort will be put into the designing of vehicles with robot brains, and they, uh-huh. they can be well, set for particular destinations that will then proceed there without interference by a slow reflexes of a human driver. Hello, Google. Like yeah. you cab. Yeah. You know, pretty interesting. You know, he made, of course, he made a lot of predictions that were off base, but, uh, you know, if you compare his list of predictions and his hit ratio, he did a lot better. All right. Well, guys, how did we do last year? I did pretty well. Yeah, Evan did pretty good.
1: What All did right, you predict go over on, your Evan?
0: predictions, Evan. I made four predictions, and let's take them in order. Technology major data breach, costing consumers and insurers worldwide at least a billion dollars. Oh, well, if you shopped at any Target store on Black yeah. Friday or the 18 days mm. following, you may have been a victim of the security breach that affected 40 million consumers. According to Javelin's strategy research, they estimate that the impact will be $4 billion Wow!
2: Lost well done.
0: when it's all totaled up. So oh, the but on the plus
2: side, I got 10% off that weekend. That they
0: yeah, that was awesome. So, <laughs> uh, let's see. In astronomy, an Earth twin will be discovered. Hmm. Well, how'd I do there? I Let's don't remember you saying
3: that. I listened to last year's show. Yeah, he
1: stole it from me. Remember? No. What? That the old, you found, you predicted the Earth-like planet with I've I've been predicting for years.
0: And look at this. This headline: Earth's hellish twin sister discovered back in October of 2013.
1: Yeah, but hellish doesn't count. <laughs> well, it does does it? <laughs> no. It's
0: Sorry. Earth-sized planet circling the sun, Kepler 78. That's no, too hot. 78B to Yeah,
2: but did the headline actually say twin? Yes, it did. Then I'd give it to him because maybe he was psychically envisioning that headline. I think that's fair.
0: I agree. All right. This one I'll take a miss on, but uh, something close came to it. I predicted that a handheld breathalyzer will offer early detection of infections uh, and microbes. Not quite. However, there is a breathalyzer that can monitor blood glucose in diabetics. Non-invasive monitoring device that uses multi-layer nanotechnology to to detect acetone has been shown to correlate with blood glucose levels in the breath of diabetics. So So I won't take that as a hit, but uh, it's interesting nonetheless. And the last one about the environment, we'll find a way to harness energy from sand. So I'll I'll count that as a miss, but I did look up to see what kind of sand and energy related stuff was out there. And what they are looking at though is um how to use sand as a storage system for capturing sol- solar energy. Just the heat you're saying, Ed? Yeah, it stores sand stores thermal energy at a higher temperature, uh 1000 degrees Celsius, whereas uh Prior experiments with molten salts only holds it at 600 degrees Celsius. That means hotter steam for turbines, more efficient electricity production from the storage of heat in sand. So, close, but, you know, I'll take 50%. I'll no, take two out of four. 50%?
2: Yeah, I think I you got than, your beat yeah. there. Sylvia
0: Brown. What do you got, Steve?
1: All right, so um, I made two predictions. Okay, so I predict that there will be a major pareidolia event this year. <laughs> We <laughs> recall and yeah. and there was the Mars iguana. Mars iguana. Oh, are we
2: calling that major?
0: Absolutely. <laughs> we we covered it on the show. That's It mad. made
1: the cover of Huffington Post Science. Oh, well. <laughs> okay. Nice. Good job, Steve. Okay. Yeah. We have and that work over the second there. one was that I predict that conspiracy theorists will use anomaly hunting to argue that an innocent or natural event is actually a deliberate conspiracy.
2: I see the tactic you took. Yeah, that's yeah, pretty lame, Steve. So <laughs> in 2013,
1: conspiracy theorists did develop around the Boston Marathon bombings claiming that it was a government false flag operation. That
2: wasn't a natural event. You said natural event.
1: Or innocent. It was – oh. Meaning, which you can interpret as a, not a conspiracy. And yeah. it's a, I choose to interpret it that way. Yeah, you would. Yeah. And so they're saying that it was all because of, uh, you know, anti-gunpowder
3: legislation.
2: Anti-gunpowder? Yeah, there's yeah. an
3: anti-gunpowder legislation. Like, what does it say? Don't, you know, don't set off firecrackers.
1: <laughs> yeah, just eliminating the sale and ownership of gunpowder. So that the, the Boston mm-hmm. bombing was, was in order to push through that. That legislation.
2: All right. Well, y- you got your both of your not very impressive predictions. I so didn't <laughs> say job. that they were <laughs> impressive. <I just laughs> they were correct. What were the other predictions?
3: Iran tested a nuke. No, they didn't. But I thought they were going to. And mm. I said another private company was going to launch a space mission, and I, that was correct. Another, mm-hmm. co- another good company did test a rocket for uh, for eventual consumer benefit. Well, good job. Cool. Twenty five percent. Very cool. You also okay. predicted, Jay, that the end is Bill Nye. I did, but
1: we
6: won't know. We won't know
5: for a while. The end is yeah. Bill Nye upon us.
1: Rebecca, you predicted that the Daily Mail will report that researchers have discovered pickles cause cancer. All right, it didn't happen. And number two, a <laughs> <that> whistleblower <laughs> will it. reveal that the government has been hiding something.
2: <laughs> oh! Uh, you see, you stole oh. my strategy there. Oh, okay. I totally got that one, though. <laughs> you, I
1: nailed that one. And you wouldn't even say which government. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> and I'm just gonna say that when I google pickles cause cancer, I see a lot of stuff here. <laughs> There's a lot of intriguing possibilities Let's see
1: Bob Bob you predicted that
2: uh, in
4: 20 pickles- in 2013 I said uh, everyone will start referring to the year as 2013 instead of 2013 and uh, yeah. you guys have definitely uh, <laughs> been doing that a lot um, yes. Well, we didn't want you to fail in yeah. your predictions. Well, I appreciate it. So that's definitely a hit. You're welcome. Um, I, I also predicted Higgs, uh, Higgs boson uh, sigma confidence level of 9, 9 sigma, uh, will be reached, and it didn't. Also, uh, I, I predicted <laughs> that scientists will create a living minimal genome cell from scratch.
2: Did, did and they no. do that? And no. And no. no. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Now we need we need to do our predictions for 2014. All right. Number one, the Daily Mail will report that the Higgs boson causes cancer. <laughs> <laughs> Number two, weather events will become sentient. Now, this is a prediction that was made by a caller to Coast to Coast a few years ago, but I feel like it's due. Number three, Nabisco will debut a new flavor of Oreo, unlike any Oreo that has ever been created. Possibly it will be made of human flesh. Soylent Oreo? Possibly, possibly. Yeah. But the first part is definite. Uh Number four, Mr. Nibbles will become the first possum in space. Number five, I will forget... What predictions I made today and by next year I'll be too lazy to go back and listen to the show to remind myself and I will hope that one of you or a listener just reminds me of what I predicted.
0: I'll mark that as a yes right (laughs) right now.
1: (laughs) Predicting is not telling what what you're going to do in the future. (laughs) I predict tomorrow morning I will take a shower.
2: (laughs) could be. (laughs) It depends on how high your standards are.
3: I have three predictions. I predict uh, that the FAA will approve drones to carry lightweight payloads. My second prediction... All
0: Amazon package delivery kind of
3: thing. Yeah, it's funny you should say that because my second prediction is that Amazon.com will become the biggest collector of personal information because of said drones. Because uh, they'll, of course, have spy cameras on all of them. The third one, I, yeah. I really was trying to come up with something uncommon. I thought more lightning slash volcano images will be posted on Reddit. <laughs> Okay.
2: All right. Uh,
0: Three predictions for 2014. Scientists will discover the first rogue moon orbiting a rogue planet. (laughs) Cool. Mm -hmm. Number two. I have to think about that one. There will be a breakthrough in thorium reactor technology. I can't quite specify exactly what it is, but it will be significant. And number three. Flying cars will hit the market. You will be able to purchase your own flying automobile in two thousand fourteen at some point.
2: About time.
4: All right, Bob, you got any?
0: The ultra high def UHD TVs will still sell
4: in increasing numbers throughout twenty fourteen, despite the fact that there's no four K content to be to play on them. That's <laughs> so annoying. And you know, if if I were if I were filthy rich, I'd still get one. But it's just like really? Why? Um, but I do want to see one up close in person. I want. But to see can't they at least is. like up interpolate? Like yes, they Blu-ray. can up. Yeah, they'll up. They'll up scan. It. You yeah, yeah, you can you can up convert things An like X. that. And I guess that's An that X. might be the best reason to do it. But it won't be true 4K. But it, better than 1080P would be nice, and I'd like to see yeah. that too. But still, it's a so silly. I mean, it's it's purely economics. They're selling them because there's a huge there's a huge markup. Because regular high def TVs have no markup. It's razor thin. So. They love these because, you know, they make tons of money.
1: Got it. So um, you're predicting that something that's already happening, happening will continue
4: to happen. Yes. And <laughs> well, in increasing numbers. Uh, okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> increasing. Okay. Um, I,
1: current I, trends will continue. Yes. Unchanged.
4: At, yeah. Yes.
0: <laughs> that's bold, Bob. Very and I, bold. I
4: predict Siri will become sentient and remotely destroy all nine non iPhone smartphones on the planet. I'm mm, okay. um, kind of looking forward to that. And, uh, right, I predict okay. that a, a computer controlled car will have an accident and lawsuits. Will go crazy and and hinder the proliferation of computer controlled cars. Mm. That's the best one of the three you said. It's that. an
1: actual prediction. That's interesting. Mm-hmm.
4: All right. Well, I predict that there will be a major
1: Bitcoin theft this year. <laughs> <laughs> mm. <laughs> well, seriously,
2: so you're going with your I, usual tactics here, serial, <laughs> seriously, seriously
4: impede the adoption of Bitcoin as the mm-hmm. the internet.
1: Currency.
2: So the thief
4: sneaks <laughs> away, not with a bag <laughs> yeah. with a big dollar sign on it, but just like a, uh, a thumb drive. He's like sneaking away with a yeah. thumb drive. I've got a million. Well, million. You, if, if you, you have to imagine s- it that way, Bob. Yeah.
2: Wait, yeah. Or he'll sneak away in the same way that they've snuck, sneaked away Snucked. all year and <laughs> the previous year. Cause this happens like every month. Uh, I'm Evan, <laughs> <laughs> I had one well, that's close to it. I predicted. A major breakthrough
1: in fusion technology, fusion energy okay. technology in 2014 right. it will pass a Let's major milestone. Although I think thorium is a good – I like that. I like the thorium prediction. That's good too. Mm-hmm. And I also predicted that we will discover many more exoplanets in 2014. Oh, boy. <sighs> okay. So, that's, so that is quo, huh? Come on,
0: Steve. Well, well, good one. You already know <laughs> – That's going to happen.
2: And you're giving me attitude? Yeah, you need to be a little bolder with your predictions. <laughs> all, right, all, right, all
0: right, I'll give you At
1: least mine were funny. Okay, I do have one more. This is a serious one. I do predict that there will be an earthquake somewhere in 2014.
2: Oh, for God's <laughs> I but predict weather events will become sentient. <laughs> <laughs> You're predicting an earthquake. <laughs> How about that? Predict somewhere. the first
0: non-Earth earthquake. That would be
2: cool. I predict that earthquakes will
3: become sentient.
2: Don't just copy my awesome I didn't. <laughs> no one has
3: ever said that before in the history of humankind. Uh,
4: I predict Jay will become sentient.
6: <laughs> That's not <gonna> get crazy.
3: <laughs>
4: <laughs> all right. Dang.
1: All right. We beat this dead horse. Um, let's move on to some serious news items. Bob, you're going to tell us – this is an exoplanet news item actually. Uh-huh.
0: <laughs> so Steve's on his way. Yeah,
1: weather on <laughs> – the, uh, you tell it. The scientists is yeah. discovered... <laughs>
4: you tell <laughs> it. Go. Just, go ahead. Bob. Okay. Uh, yeah, weather. I'm, words. I'm not sure about the word weather then, in this context. But scientists, for the first time, have determined aspects of the atmosphere of a super-Earth using the Hubble Space Telescope. They've definitively shown that there's a significant layer of high-altitude clouds that cover the this entire exoplanet. The primary researchers... Um, we're from the Department of Astronomy at the University of Chicago, and they published their findings in the January 2nd issue of Nature. Now, the planet, of course, has a lovely designation, GJ1214b. I'm sure there's a reason for that, but it's I don't know why they just can't come up with a cool little name, especially when it's a, kind of a milestone. Now, it's called a super-Earth because it's masses between that of Earth and Neptune. I didn't know this. These types of planets may actually be the most common type in the Milky Way. I didn't know that. Even though there
1: are none in our own solar system.
4: Yes. True. So uh, this super Earth is only 40 light years away, which is pretty much spitting distance when you think about it. That's really just right next door. Uh, it's located near the constellation Ophiuchus, which is how I prefer to pronounce this. And all that's the 13th yes. uh,
0: member of the zodiac. All good
4: skeptics should know that it's it's te- technically the newest and the 13th zodiacal sign because stars have moved since the zodiac was initially set up uh, was it i think the babylonians about 2500 years ago the stars have actually moved and now there's a 13th one so that's a i love that little tidbit so they did a ground based study of the specter of light that was passing through the planet's atmosphere in 2010 and they narrowed down the atmospheric possibilities to pretty much two options either there was a lot of water vapor in the atmosphere or there were high altitude clouds those two options were pretty much provided By a very important atmospheric phenomenon called Rayleigh scattering, which makes our sky blue. And uh, I just want to throw that in there because it's interesting. The, the process in a nutshell is the scattering of light due to particles smaller than its wavelength. Uh, the, this process favors shorter wavelength light, which is the blue end of the visible, visible spectrum. Hence, the sky is blue. Um, for an exoplanet, this scattering can actually give us information about the uh, atmospheric composition. And this is pretty much what they did. So next up was um, the Hubble Space Telescope. And recently, it or over the course of 11 months, it looked at this planet for 96 hours – uh, 96 hours of observing time, which is more than any other planet in its history, apparently. So this allowed us to determine which of these, these two possibilities were actually the real deal. Hubble used the scattered light from the, the near infrared spectrum and the scientists used that data to conclusively show that clouds went out and water vapor lost. So just a big cloud layer and there, there is no water vapor. In fact, this was interesting. Hubble found no evidence of any chemical signatures at all. <laughs> um which seemed a little odd to me and that means that the at- the atmosphere can't be cloud free and it can't be composed not only of water vapor but it also it cannot have nitrogen carbon monoxide carbon dioxide etc none of those are there um which actually is a bit of a bummer obviously because uh, without those chemicals it pretty much makes it almost impossible for uh, the planet to be suitable for life as we know it so that kind of uh kind of stinks but, so then what are the clouds? What are these clouds made of? And we still don't even know that, but they have looked at some models of super Earths, um, showing that these clouds could be made of potassium chloride or perhaps zinc sulfide. So if, but if you have clouds that are made out of those chemicals, the temperature at the surface would be nasty, like 450 degrees Fahrenheit, 232 Celsius. So, but if you're like
1: zinc-based life, it might be com- it might be comfortable for you.
4: True. I was thinking it re- this reminded me of those Star Trek, those molten rock creatures. Uh, yeah. what, what were they called? Excalibur? Ex- the ex- ex- no, Excalbians or something. Excal. <laughs> oh, uh, But actually, that this planet isn't hot enough for those guys because they're because rock doesn't really melt at. At even 450 Fahrenheit. You gotta get a lot hotter mm. than that. So there we are. Uh, we probably won't learn much more until the James Webb Space Telescope is launched in a few years. Um, with it, we'll probably be able to look through this cloud layer, hopefully, and determine more precisely what, what lies below it. Plus, of course, using the techniques that we've developed with Hubble, we'll be able to look at a lot of other super Earths and, and determine what's going on with, with their atmosphere. So that's, uh, gonna be very interesting.
1: Me? Cool. Have you guys heard that scientists have finally figured out how to reverse the aging process? Every day. Finally. <laughs> <laughs> finally. Uh, finally. Uh,
2: I hope they've released their findings uh, in the form of a cream I can buy at the Macy's counter. <laughs> <laughs> Am I right, fellas?
0: <laughs> so, or your refreshing breath spray.
4: I'll, I'll take a pill or or a nasty injection. I'll, I would endure a lot for that. But
2: I'll
1: take it any way it can come. So I add this to my list. In addition to curing the common cold. Yes, yes. Curing cancer, curing Alzheimer's disease, right? So there's a, anytime any study has anything to do with the brain, it might lead to a cure for Alzheimer's or anything, any viral study may lead to a cure for the common cold. Now we have anything that affects cell metabolism could reverse the aging process. The reporting of this was so hyped. And I I also think that the um the researchers were contributing to the hype more than a little bit. This was an interesting study in and of itself. I mean, they looked we were looking at mice. They looked at mitochondrial function, and they they were able to specifically show that the decline in mitochondrial function with age, this is in in mice, correlates with de- declining NAD levels. And NAD is Nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide. It's a, it's a chemical. It's made of, Rosa. yeah, two, two nucleotides, you know, bound together by their phosphate group. And this is an important, it's actually a very interesting mo- molecule. It, it basically shuttles electrons around in reactions. And which is why, of course, it's involved in mitochondrial reaction, uh, mitochondrial function, because mitochondria are those, the little organelles that make energy inside every cell um and part of that process is you know the electron transport process they actually shuttle electrons around that's how they store energy
4: Steve did you find that a lot of articles did not even relate what NAD stood for I was reading yes. a bunch of these like dude what is NAD tell me give me some details what does the acronym stand for at the very least and they wouldn't even do that it's like okay because yeah. I, I don't need to know.
1: Right. Oh, the, re- the reporting, you know, this, I sound cranky after a while, but I mean, the reporting <laughs> is, t- is terrible. And This is like from the BBC and, you know, from major news outlets, not from rags. Um, so, you know, one article was saying, for example, experiments showed that boosting NAD levels by giving mice a chemical they naturally convert to NAD could reverse the sands of time. One week of youth medication in a two-year-old mice meant that their muscles became akin to those of a six-month-old in terms of mitochondrial function, muscle wastage, inflammation, and insulin resistance. So that by increasing NAD levels, by feeding the mice a precursor, they were able to, some markers of mitochondrial function started to look more like young mitochondria than old mitochondria. So that's hardly reversing the aging process as if it's one this one thing first of all, you know, the aging process. It's like the missing link, you know. It's again just these memes that journalists use when reporting when reporting these news stories. Um also the muscles the the mice muscles were uh, not stronger. They did not increase in strength, which is a good overall measure of muscle function.
4: You know, I know, right? It's like, the are. It, it, like, we made this muscle, uh, younger, like akin to what? What, what was the, the example of a 60 year old to a 20 year old? Great. So it looks like young muscle from these very narrow perspectives. Yeah. But it's not strong. It's like, whoa. I mean, that's, that's kind yeah. of important. But they did say that potentially that, um, if they, if their mice were on, you know, on this regimen for longer, it might have happened. And so, yeah, but, right. but Maybe not. It might. That's,
1: that's the generic response to any negative study involving biology. That the dose wasn't high enough or the treatment wasn't long enough. Right. You could say that about anything. And so it means nothing to say that. Well, a higher dose or longer treatment might have had an effect. The, the bottom line is it, there was no effect on strength. And also there was no overall effect on the mice. You know what I mean? The mice were still old mice. So they, they, they didn't document any, any reversal of aging in the mice and the function of the muscle. It was just in some markers that they were looking at in mitochondrial function.
3: Not to oversimplify it, but so
1: what What was the benefit? Well, that's the whole point. We don't know if there is a benefit. When I wrote about this for science-based medicine, the, the primary points I wanted to pull from this, you know, the context that I think reporters should be putting this into is biology is extremely messy and complicated. It's this vast biochemical and physiological web of interactions. And we actually evolved to grow old. You know, it's, it's not necessarily an absolute necessity of physics, whatever that we age the way we do. It's, not. it's part of our evolution, partly be, to prevent cancers from running rampant, right? You know, we, there are mechanisms that keep cells from being immortal in our bodies and reproducing forever because if otherwise we would be ravaged by cancer. Um so we live long enough to have kids and raise them and then you know you keep us alive for that long. And one easy way to keep us alive for that long is to have mechanisms in place that keep us from living forever, if that makes sense.
4: What if we discovered a way to really knock cancer on its ass? I mean, what you know. Yeah.
1: Well I think let me let me let me give you the broad answer is that I think that if if we're going to significantly impact healthy aging and longevity, there isn't gonna be any one thing yeah. that's going to have that impact. It, again, it's it's, a, it's an elaborate web. Just grabbing one string and pulling it is not going to have the predicted or desired effect. It's going to have an unpredictable, messy effect on the system, a system which is characterized by homeostasis, right? It's characterized by everything kind of just fitting together, and you're probably going to throw something out of whack if you try to alter the system in any kind of simplistic way. What we're going to have to develop, I think, is our mechanisms where we're going to do some complex suite of interactions that have been carefully researched for their net health effects. Well, you know what I mean? Where we're, where we're manipulating the whole mechanism in some way. Mm-hmm. I mean, there may, there'll be some low-hanging fruit where we identify, oh, people who live past 100 have these three mutations. And okay, that's just whatever. We'll re- we'll genetically engineer those mutations, but. You know These basic science studies that look at the one marker of one physiological effect, like NAD and mitochondrial function, it's simplistic to say this is reversing the aging process. That's the thing I'm trying to make. You can't extrapolate from this one thing to aging. I totally agree, Uh, Steve. It's
4: so much more complicated than that. that, That's one of the reasons why I liked Aubrey de Grey's approach of of identifying the seven or eight or nine key markers of, of aging in the body. Uh, the, you know, the uh, the mitochondria being just one aspect of that, and yeah, and but it's I think he's, I think all of them.
1: I, I think even he's way off. I don't think there's to seven or eight. I think there's many more. And the other problem the is heck? you you use the correct term marker. We don't, we, you know, how do you know when something is a marker for aging versus a cause of aging? And this is again a lesson that we learn over and over and over again in medicine when you're you're looking at some marker of mitochondrial function, you don't know what that really means. You're not adjusting the thing that really matters. You're just adjusting some downstream effect that we can measure.
3: Well, Steve, what could we do to uh, to improve this? Like, what, what do you think? Oh, we're doing
1: it. We just keep doing more research. I'm complaining about the reporting of yeah. the research, not the research itself. These are little. These are tiny incremental baby steps, and we need to make a million of them. You know, to keep moving slowly in this direction. I just think that reporting any one of these tiny baby steps as reversing the aging process is hype. That misinforms the public about what's really going on and the true nature of things. You know what I'm saying? Well, let's move on from aging to how
2: dogs poop, Rebecca. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why not? I'll take this one.
4: <laughs> that, that's my favorite segue of 2014 so far.
2: Yeah, definitely. I, I concur. Uh yeah in in other groundbreaking research <laughs> that could change the way Ground, humanity evolves research. oh boy yeah. researchers have published a paper in uh frontiers in zoology showing that dogs poop along the earth's magnetic field uh <laughs> they not just poop i should be clear also urinate what these researchers did is very, um, they were very thorough for over the course of two years. They studied 70 dogs defecating 1,893 times and urinating 5,582 times. And they found that the dogs, uh, preferred to excrete With the body, I'm quoting directly, with the body being aligned along the north-south axis under calm magnetic field conditions, what they found basically was that about 20% of the time, the Earth's magnetic field was what they termed calm, not at all in flux. And during those times, the dogs were much, much, much more likely to Want to orient themselves north-south and likely to avoid orienting themselves east-west. So this was a very strong correlation and they don't know why exactly, but, uh, you know, they don't know if, for instance, aligning in that way is pleasurable to the dog or if aligning east-west is unpleasant for them. They don't know if the dogs are seeing magnetic fields in some way, sensing them in in some direct way. The way they might see or smell or hear things, uh, they're not sure. But this is the first time scientists have shown some pretty concrete evidence that dogs have some sense of the Earth's magnetic field. Um, concrete evidence. <laughs> Sorry. Con- concrete.
0: Poop? I don't get it. Is that? It's like sh- shitting a brick. <laughs>
2: Alright, that was just you, Evan, just you. I think so, yeah. Bricks aren't aren't made (laughs) of concrete. Uh, Thanks for sharing. Okay. Uh, (laughs) But they might poop on the concrete. Yeah, that's where I thought you were going. But, um. Why the hell are
3: they doing research like that? I mean, really? Because they're looking for the Ig Nobel (laughs) award. This (laughs)
2: is, I feel like this is a shoe-in for next year's Ig Nobel. And is that funny? Because sometimes poop gets on shoes? Who knows? (laughs) Evan? No. Uh, Absolutely.
0: Ding, ding, (laughs) ding, ding, (laughs) ding.
2: But, uh, way well the reason why here. they would be studying this is because it is interesting to learn about how animals sense things that humans can't necessarily sense, and this isn't the first animal you know where studies have shown some sensing of magnetic fields. There are the obvious ones, like birds you know using magnetic fields as a way to migrate south. But there's also bats, turtles, fish. Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting to find out, like, how are these animals experiencing the world and why are they doing these things? You know, there's really – it's kind of difficult to come up with a, a solid theory as to why a dog would care which way it's pointing when it poops. Who knows? Now, um, the
0: Earth's magnetic field is so weak in a sense, but –
2: yeah, and that's it's that's hard to think.
0: Well, so, what's the advantage? What, what what what? There's there's got to be a quote unquote. Yeah, they're not navigating.
2: It, I'm glad you you brought up the fact of how weak it is because that is one thing I did want to point out is that these studies were um, the the effect was shown in dogs who were defecating and peeing in an open field off leash and allowed to go wherever they wanted, not. When they're on a leash and when they're, when they're on a leash, like, or in a, some kind of environment where they're being distracted or their owner is present, the effect can't be seen. So it, this is a really minor sort of effect that previously hadn't been seen in part, I think the, the researchers are suggesting because, uh, nobody had looked at the state of the Earth's magnetic field While the dogs were defecating. So. Rebecca, I
1: gotta say, I I have to call BS on this study. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) gosh. More like DS. DS,
0: yeah.
2: That's what I was waiting for. (laughs) Yeah. Go for
1: it. Yeah, I read, I read this study. So first of all, it reads like the researchers are trying to convince me of their hypothesis rather than trying to like really critically analyze their own hypothesis. Did not impress me. But. If you read the study, it reeks of researcher degrees of freedom. (laughs) Seriously, Steve. You know the Simmons at all? I'm sorry, exploiting researcher degrees of freedom where they. They, they, you look at the data multiple different ways and mail mel- multiple different comparisons. And they say, Oh, when we did our first statistical analysis, we didn't see any effects. So then we tried these other analyses ah, and eventually ding, ding, we got ding, the ding, data ding. to look really good, yeah. but only in this subset and blah, blah, blah. And it just, again, it reeks of they, these guys massage the, the data upwards and backwards until they found some correlation. And somewhere. they admitted it. And they admitted it. They were kind of describing in their, you know, how their, their fishing expedition for statistical significance. And the other thing is that it correlates with the rate of change of magnetic declination, which is the difference between magnetic north and true north in your local area, which is such a subtle effect. I just don't buy it. It's bad enough that the dogs are sensing the magnetic field. Now we know that animals can do that. You get a little bit of iron in your head. You can detect a magnetic field, but Magnetic declination? Hmm, I don't know. That's that's a tough sell. And again, why would they care? And then they they go through. Why do they give a shit? Yeah, (laughs) that's exactly right. Yeah, well, they they might be orienting themselves north south by other cues, not along the magnetic field. And and they didn't control for that really. Yeah, I mean they, they didn't do studies to show that it was the magnetic field that they were sensing and not like they didn't blindfold them or cover their nose or oh, whatever, oh. you know, do whatever you need to do to to block Little other forms. Dogs. Uh, I'm I'm not saying it's impossible because there is precedent in other animal species. What I'm saying is this study is not convincing because it looks like a statistical fishing expedition and it would have to be replicated independently before I would even say that there's something happening here and then we would need to isolate the magnetic field as the variable here and not something else in the environment. So,
2: until, so until saying, it happens, I don't buy this.
0: You're saying this study is a waste.
2: <laughs> I wasn't, you're not even trying anymore. You're just saying other words for poop. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, Jay, you're going to tell us
1: about all the virgin births that
3: are apparently taking place around the world. Yeah. We've all heard about the virgin birth. The scientific term for virgin birth is parthenogenesis. And these actually do occur. Parthenogenesis is a form of asexual reproduction, and that's where embryos develop from an unfertilized egg. And this is not to be confused with the uh, hermaphroditic species that reproduce by themselves because they contain both sexes, both reproductive organs in a single body. So now on to the study where 45 people out of 7,870 flat out lied. Well, I can't I can't say that with a hundred percent certainty, of course. And maybe they didn't even know that they were lying. But you know, I'll, I'll explain to you what's going on here. But 45 people over a 14 year period claimed to have gotten pregnant without having intercourse. And the research started when these people were teens, and then they would ask them questions every you know on, on intervals. So there, it was over the f- course of 14 years, they just kept you know asking them questions over and over again to see what happened to their answers. And I guess they they did. Other questions as they got older. This was a study led by Amy Herring, a biostatistician at the University of North Carolina. She said that a, th- a third of those who reported to have gotten pregnant before sex had taken virginity pledges. And Bob, mm-hmm. you know what those are?
4: I could guess. Yeah, I do actually. I do. I know what it is.
3: Well, this is when, you know, through either religious means or or to their parents, the teenagers will pledge not to have sex until they get married. Mm-hmm. Or some variation on that. But so they are the, saying
1: they had some motivation to claim that they've never had
3: sex. That's number one. Yeah. Uh, no, number two, the parents of the daughters that claimed that they had virgin births were more likely to say that uh, th- they said that they had difficulty speaking to their children about sex topics. So that was the other clue. And... The, uh, Herring also said that many people who responded did not know how to accurately even define sex. And as an example, if orgasm wow. wasn't achieved, some said that wasn't sex. I happen to agree, but for the study, that could have skewed things a little bit. You know, and this even included, uh, uh, male respondents, um, also said, uh, that, you know, that similar thing or, you know, had other confusion about sex, you know, or oral sex is that sex? Is is penetration sex? And you know, there was a lot of confusion around what the real definition of sex was. And apparently, you know, some of these answers that were, were given by these people were because they simply didn't realize that you know any kind of intercourse is sex. So
1: this is based on a survey. It seems more plausible that people are either lying or profoundly naive, rather than. That this is evidence of human parthenogenesis. I mean, there's no there's no evidence of parthenogenesis, spontaneous parthenogenesis in the wild in mammals, right? Let alone people.
3: Yeah, it's not biologically impossible. Um, it just there's been no no studies or, or no evidence of humans. And at this point, you know, it's pretty safe to say that it does it doesn't happen in humans. It doesn't happen in mammals. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's why the the researchers had to turn to more of like, okay, what's actually going on here? You know, these are this, this isn't factual. This is circumstantial information. You know, the interesting thing that she said was that people didn't have any re- reason to lie because it was uh, a test or infra- a quiz taken on the web.
1: But I think that it's, it's just naive to say that, oh, they didn't have a reason to lie. Therefore, they didn't. You don't know what's going on in somebody's head. People do weird things for weird reasons. It's just you can't. There's so many variables you can't confidently say that somebody wouldn't lie in this situation. Maybe they did it because it was a goof. You know what I mean? I mean who you just have you can't you can't make that statement. Well, Evan, it's time for the first Who's That Noisy of twenty fourteen.
0: That's right. We have to play for you though what the last one of twenty thirteen was to get all caught up, so let's go ahead and do that right now. Here we go. Ave Maria.
1: So, what was interesting about that, Evan?
0: Yeah, what was interesting about that? Hmm. Well, we have some special guests with us tonight to help us explain exactly what that was. So, let's welcome Hai Ting and Matthew from Scopes Monkey Choir. Hey,
3: hey guys. What's up?
0: Hey, everybody. How are you all doing? Happy New Year. Where did
2: you come from? <laughs> oh, we just <laughs> dropped in from the
6: heavens. We were hanging with Schubert up there. (laughs) We always have experts
1: just waiting on the sidelines in case we need to bring them in to tell us what's going on.
5: Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, why don't you guys explain exactly what that was we were hearing?
6: Well, that was the sound of the voice of Alessandro Moreschi, recorded in 1902. And Mr. Moreschi was widely known as the last of the castrati
1: yeah that doesn't sound good <laughs> no it's it's pretty much Ouch. exactly
6: what it sounds like. a castrato was a man who was well castrated before he hit puberty and his voice changed so Mr. Moreschi was um employed in the Sistine Chapel choir in Rome that was the the Pope's own choir, and um that's he made this recording, and I think nine others that also included some of the rest of the choir singing, and there were most likely other soprano castrati in that choir when he recorded them. Now, he lived until... He was born in 1858, so I, what I mean by all that is he was probably technically not the last of the castrati.
5: But he gets that, he gets that name uh, largely because he's the only castrato to ever make a solo recording, so it's the only document we have of what that voice type sounded like from that tradition
6: most people think that he was not the greatest of singers the castrati really reigned supreme in opera for like 200 years they were superstars in their day um and it actually goes way back before uh this period before 1900
5: yeah there there actually are records of um i should say documents of uh Uh, eunuchs singing throughout, dotted throughout history. Um and so the Europeans of this period weren't they weren't like the first to notice that there was a particular quality to the voice.
6: Didn't you say Sumeria that there's documentation? Yeah, yeah. From Sumeria. Anci- the ancient
5: Sumerians also noticed that uh, their their eunuchs had a very interesting voice,
6: and they wrote it down on clay tablets. But <laughs> or then, something. but then, throughout the ages, um, especially in the Roman Catholic Church, because uh, Saint Paul apparently said that women were supposed to shut up in church and thus not sing. Um all high parts were taken by either boys or these eunuchs, and they were in use in chapel choirs especially in Constantinople uh, documented as early as like the eleven hundreds and then continuously in Rome uh, up through up through this period, obviously in up to nineteen hundred. Um, and they be they started singing opera in when opera started, basically at the beginning of the 17th century, and they became especially like famous superstars in the middle 18th century.
5: So in that this is in the in the period where opera was basically pop music. Um, the the most famous uh, castrati of that era they were they were rock stars basically,
6: and they were taken. Um, sometimes sometimes it said that poor boys who had some talent or a nice voice were kind of sold to be castrated but it was really more like if they showed some talent and a nice voice they were taken to one of these conservatories which was a live-in music school and if they if they tested well with the music teachers then they were sent home to have the operation performed and then they were All right, hold on a second.
3: <laughs> now there was no like I don't know, father or uncle or someone that was like telling them, don't sing well.
6: (laughs) (laughs) No, (laughs) they, I mean, that's why it was often poor boys, like, because they would go to the conservatory and they, once the operation had been performed, then they would get nearly paid to sing and, uh, and there would be a sort of possible support for their family. Yeah, it was, it
5: was for a while, it was, it was a way for both the boy and the family to get out of poverty. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, like, you're, so it's that's, talking
1: it's about worse. taking a hit for the team. Huh? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's like
3: your, your family's like, son, this is such a good news, bad news <laughs> situation. <laughs> right. The good news is we're not going to have to eat like wood dust anymore for dinner. The bad news is that this weird guy is going to cut your balls off.
5: <laughs> yes. uh, but not actually off. Just, oh, wait, I should just say, disconnected. I should also mention were. at oh. this point that there were
6: a couple of boys throughout history who there are documented cases where the boys actually asked to have the operation performed themselves and in fact petitioned dukes to pay for the operation so that mm-hmm. they could keep singing in their soprano voices. It was such a rock star status at the time.
2: But, but I mean, how how can we we know though that that was actually the boys petitioning, and not heavy pressure from the people who would be profiting off of their career. Yeah, not
6: sure. I'm not sure there's any way yeah. to prove it. Yeah,
1: you can't separate those things.
6: But Matt, you were just about to explain the actual operation. In case you guys aren't uncomfortable, I'm not. Now.
5: No, I'm not <laughs> describing the operation. <laughs> you I would like to
6: hear.
2: <laughs> what, so they, just they put don't... A
3: band on it.
2: <laughs> they don't cut them off completely.
6: They they don't cut them out completely. They uh, they would uh, dope the boy. up. Up with opium or something like that, and supposedly put them in a hot bath until they were nearly insensible. And then they would snip the ducts leading to the testicles. And this may or may not have caused the testicles to later shrivel up, but they didn't remove them and they didn't do anything to the penis. Right. So they but, still yeah, had, but
1: yeah, but the testosterone wasn't getting into the blood system. Is the right. Yes,
6: exactly, and therefore they didn't mature in the same way that um, normal boys would go through puberty. Their vocal cords didn't lengthen, they didn't grow beards, and they didn't apparently suffer from male pattern baldness.
5: <laughs> so, but also that's that's one of the reasons why their the voice type was it was not the same as a little boy, and it was not the same as a woman's voice because their vocal cords stayed basically the same size. Now, at, at puberty, uh, uh the male vocal cord um increases in size by about uh, like approximately 63% or I should say on average 63%. Um so that wouldn't happen to these kids. So they would mm-hmm. still have these small vocal cords, but then their bodies would grow up to be adults and in fact um for because of other the other other physical effects of of the balls being separated, they would actually sometimes be l- very large people.
6: Yeah, they actually didn't go through their, their bones did not stop growing in the same way that normal men's do. There's something, uh, probably Steve, you know better about this. Uh, there's something called the epiphyseal plate at the end of the right. bones that when, when you're in normal maturity, that would get filled in with bone. It stop fuses. Growing. It's called
1: fusing. Yeah. And once that once they fuse, the bones stop growing. So, like with uh, with certain kinds of dwarfism, they fuse early, which is why uh-huh. all the arms and legs and fingers and everything are just short. Uh-huh. They're not necessarily small, but they're you know they're everything is short because the epiphyseal plates fuse prematurely. So, so if they had delayed they, they had delayed fusion of the epiphyseal plates. They would just have long. Limbs. They would have
5: long limbs and apparently often had long long ribs and part of that too is that they often would have very large lung capacity so they would this combination of large lung lung capacity with small vocal cords actually gave them a voice that was not a small boy and not a woman's voice it was a totally different kind of sound
1: well so when do you think this practice Completely ended. Like, when, when was the last operation done? It well, was
5: made illegal, and it it m- mostly was in Italy um, uh, during this period, and it was made illegal in Italy in eighteen seventy.
6: Okay, right about the time that Italy became Italy.
1: Yeah, it became a nation. Yeah.
6: And uh, they think that Moreschi, um, the guy in the recording, was probably castrated around eighteen sixty five. So really, right towards the end, and all. Apparently all of the men who were singing soprano in the in the Sistine Chapel choir at the time had this story that they all told that they had all just coincidentally been attacked by pigs when they were boys mm-hmm. and that's how they that they had a horrible accident with a pig but it was that was apparently the popular euphemism at that point
5: right and right, it, right. and it
6: really I, as far as we know it stopped about that time around 1870 hmm. wow
0: wow well, there it is in a nutshell
2: yeah. Oh God! <laughs> He's been Thank at it you. all night. I've
1: been <laughs> waiting for that. Waiting to drop that for what? Three weeks? Evan? Three weeks.
0: Thank you. Man, uh, I was I was trying to keep it
5: classy. Now I can see. Uh, you should nope, know better. No need. Keeping it classy. Talking
6: about Castrati. <laughs> mm-hmm. There is one final bit actually that I find really interesting. Um, the music from this time has become increasingly popular in the last twenty years, and male falsettists um, called countertenors. And, uh, and also sopranists ha- have become increasingly good they've been refining their techniques and they're picking up all this the music of this time and some have started making really fantastic recordings without cutting their nuts off
1: they're essentially <laughs> mimicking that. mimicking the sound of a castrati
6: well maybe not mimicking the sound of a castrati but developing their falsetto so that they can sing those same repertoire in a in approximately the same way
1: mm-hmm do you want to give us an example?
5: Oh my God, it sort of
2: sounds like this.
1: <laughs> well, I was I mean, actually uh, suggesting you're right, that maybe that is me-
2: fascinating. <laughs>
1: <laughs> is it, is I thought like maybe Hai Ting might want to sing something for us if she's yeah, like an well, actual no, opera no, I mean, singer.
6: I can't, I can't really, well, <laughs> I can't really in, either imitate either one, either the Castrati or the. It would be
2: very interesting to hear you imitating. A counter tenor imitating castrati. a castrati.
5: Yeah, it's <laughs> like the, would be I'm not just the of opera.
2: <laughs>
3: I'm not just like blogging of off opera. of this show until she does it. So, like, <laughs> just take your time and. <laughs> oh, wow.
1: Not bad, not
5: bad. That's awesome.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, Evan, before we let, uh, Matt and Haitin go, can you tell us who won this week?
0: Yeah, there were a lot of correct answers. I'm surprised. So Hi, Ting people... didn't win, did she? No, no. Damn. She did not. <laughs> it was an <laughs> inside uh... job. <laughs> but, uh, listener Graham Lappin did Graham win. Graham Lappin. Graham Lappin, uh, did win from, uh, the United Kingdom. So Graham, well done and we've uh, gone ahead and decided to uh, run our contest again for 2014. So you're the first winner of 14, and your name's going to go into a drawing at the end of the year, and we're going to select from that pool of people to join us in early 2015 for a uh, game of science or fiction with the rogues. So well done, Graham.
6: Well done, Graham. All right.
0: (laughs) Evan, why don't you play uh, the Who's That Noisy for this week? You got it. So to kick off the new year, Let's get to a little science. Here we go.
2: Whose fleece was white as snow? Oh, sorry. Okay.
3: Evan, that's the noise the boys make when they put them in the nut killing bath. <laughs>
6: <laughs> I was gonna say it I was gonna say it's the pig that ate the kids' nuts. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so there you go. A little hint from a human being afterwards should help you guys out. So um all right, so go ahead and send us your answer. We have an email address for who's that noisy submissions called WTN at the org or go ahead and register on our forums if you haven't already, or if you have, put your answer there in the sub-forum for Who's That Noisy? And that is sguforums.com. And as I say every week, good luck, everyone.
1: Hi, Tegan and Matthew. Thank you so much for joining us this, for the first show of 2014.
6: Thank you so much Thanks for having so us. Thanks so much.
1: And we'll see you guys at Nexus. Yes, we will yeah. see you yeah. right at Nexus. Yeah. forward to it.
0: It's time for Science or Fiction.
1: Each week, I come up with three science news items or facts, two genuine and one fictitious. And then I challenge my panel of skeptics to tell me which one is the fake. It is a brand new year. Everyone gets a clean slate. Yes. All right. So we'll see how you guys do in 2014. Here we go.
4: Tied for the lead.
1: Three regular news items this week. Start off with a classic. (laughs) Item number one. Researchers find that human hunter-gatherers follow a movement pattern that is the same as the foraging patterns of many animals, such as sharks and honeybees. Item number two, astronomers report the first discovery of a possible exomoon. Item number three, a new survey of dinosaur species concludes that as many as half of known species sported some type of feather. Rebecca, as the reigning champion from 2013, (laughs) you get the distinct privilege (laughs) of going first in 2014.
2: Yeah, (laughs) I'm honored. Honored and delighted. Uh, Okay, well, human hunter-gatherers follow a movement pattern that's the same of sharks and bees and many other animals. I have trouble believing that sharks and bees have a similar foraging pattern. Like, sharks aren't even foragers, are they? They're hunters in in the hunter-gatherer dichotomy. What are they foraging for? Lettuce? Sea lettuce? (laughs) Which I assume would be kelp. So, I don't know. That one is weird to me. Uh, Yeah, and the other thing is that, like, uh, the foraging is a social activity for both humans and species like honeybees. But sharks are individual. I don't think they travel in groups, do they? I don't think they do. Lone shark. That's, no, that's (laughs) something else. Uh, Lone Lone wolf.
1: But wolves are in (laughs) packs.
2: It's so confusing. Um, astronomers report (laughs) the first possible exomoon. Isn't this the thing that Evan just no. Just predicted?
0: <laughs> no, not quite. Rogue, rogue moon. Not oh, not rogue the, uh, moon. Oh, yeah. Okay, close right. but no.
2: Yeah. Um. Sure, why this, not? Unless Multiple this exo moon happens
0: to be a rogue moon, it could be.
2: Could be. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? I kind of sure, doubt they could, it, but... they could discover an exo moon. Um, as many as half of known species of dinosaurs sported some type of feather. I like the way this is put because I'm picturing them putting a little feather like in their breast pocket. <laughs> like it's just it's the fashion half of like a all square? species of dinosaur sported a feather. <laughs> I thought more than half. I thought I thought loads of dinosaur species had feathers now, but I'm out of the loop on my dinosaur facts. So back when feathers were becoming a big thing, I think I just assumed Every dinosaur I knew from my childhood was actually just a big, stupid looking bird. So that one I can believe. Uh, but maybe that, that makes it suspect. It's a little too believable, too obvious. So I'm between that one and the hunter gatherer foraging pattern thing. I, I think I'm, I'm going to go with the foraging pattern thing just because of the, I, I just feel like Foraging patterns would be heavily influenced by um, by social groups. And, and so I don't think they would be the same across that many animals.
3: Okay. Going in reverse order, Jay? Right. Okay. Well, right out of the gate, I'll say that I believe the exomoon. I have no reason to think that that wasn't discovered. I have the same concern that Rebecca does about about sharks foraging. I don't, I don't like that word in association with sharks. I mean, they'll eat anything. I guess I have to kind of say that that's pretty much it, right? They're going to hunt and kill, and then they're also going to, you know, eat whatever they find. Could be, And that could be anything. So I, I guess you can consider that foraging. But, you know, you think of like foraging, like going around picking berries and nuts and all that stuff. But I could absolutely buy it that um, there's, there's these patterns that would overlap that make sense. The only thing about the sharks foraging, similar to land-based animals foraging, is it's quite a different environment. You know, I think the patterns would be different in water just for the sake of, of the fact that it's in water and things are going to be profoundly different. Uh, and then finally the third one about the dinosaurs, like totally sporting these epically awesome bejeweled feathers. Yeah, I, I could see that. I could see them. I could see scientists finding that a lot of them have feathers. But at the same time, why is this coming out now? I think that we would know this already. I'm going to say that that one about the dinosaurs is the fake. Okay, Bob.
4: And the forging pattern, yeah, I don't have that much of a problem with this. You know, basically, whether you're a shark or a bee, you're looking for something specific and you have no idea, like for a shark, there's no scent of blood, there's no electrical field or anything. So what do they do? They've got to like search in some sort of pattern. And so that's what I think they're talking about here. Uh, I mean, clearly, if they, if they sense something, then they would just head in that direction. But if if they have no clue where anything is, then yeah, maybe they would have some sort of pattern that, that is, that is efficient, that they kind of evolved. And I think there'd be some good selective pressure for that as well. The, uh, exomoon? Yeah, I've been trying to think of ways that it would be, it would be discovered. uh, They could probably detect the, uh, gravitational tug, you know, back and forth of the, the moon and, and it's, you know, the exomoon and the exoplanet. Um I can kind of see that i am trying to think of a way how they would um detect the light decrease in front of a planet uh, when the moon uh was transiting it but I don't think that would really work because I think that the glare of the sun would just would just wash that out um but not impossible yeah I've got a problem like jay with the um dinosaurs and the uh, and the feather half as as many as half I, I don't know I just seems that just seems like a lot to me i I was kind of surprised that Rebecca Thought it was even more than that. Uh, so maybe I'm wrong, but I don't. Uh, it, know, just, from dinosaurs. it just, it, it just, uh, it just struck me as, um, if they're willing to say as many as half, that just seems like too much to me. I'm going to say that's fiction.
0: And, Evan. Just jump to the one that I think is fiction. Uh, dinosaurs. So. Thank oh wait, you. Di- dinosaurs have been around for a <laughs> oh, uh, long time. What? 150 million years. The Mesozoic era, right? Uh, that about 150 million years. So, I mean, how many species over that time is huge, huge number of them. So as many of, as half of them sported some type of feather. I don't remember exactly precisely when the feathers became a part of these dinosaurs, but I'd really be surprised if it were half uh, just because it's such a long stretch of time that dinosaurs existed. So I think that one's most likely to be the fiction.
2: I'm going to get some angry letters from paleontologists <coughs> in there.
1: All right. So you all agree – that astronomers report the first discovery of a possible exomoon. You all think that one is science? And if it's
0: around a rogue planet, then yeah, my then first prediction—immediate win. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, your prediction it, would come true. No, than you can no, it would, because
4: then it would have been discovered in 2013.
2: <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, good point. Well, maybe unless, well, unless it, was it was earlier discovered. today.
4: Yeah, it was earlier today.
1: You ah! <laughs> all right, I'll take it. <laughs> this Quickly one to the news. <laughs> this one is. Science.
5: Yay. Okay.
1: Non-rogue science. Okay. <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> All right. Bill. All right. Yeah. I, mean, I thought this was surprising in the timing. We just talked about exocomets a couple of weeks ago yeah. and exoplanets. So I thought you might have thought I made it up because we've been talking about exo stuff so much. But no. Didn't even occur to me. So how did they do it? This is December 23rd. They uh, reports This is after we recorded our last show of the year. They So, Bob, this was um, the technique by which this was visualized is the gravitational lensing effect. of They could see actually an increase in light from this star because of the lensing effect, the gravitational lensing, not a decrease from blocking the light. Does that make sense? Yeah, cool. They said there's two possibilities here. This is either a planet around a small star or a moon around a large planet. They may not be able to tell the difference. That's why I said it's possible exomoon. Uh, so they right now they can't tell the difference. They can't distinguish those two possibilities. But it is possible that this is a this is a moon of a large exoplanet. So this is a New, New Zealand telescope um, captured a momentary brightening of the star in the constellation Sagittarius due to the microlensing effect. So it has to pass directly between the Earth and the more distant star. The it's passing in front of a, not the star that it's revolving around, but a more distant star. And why ha- right,
4: such a rare event. My first assumption would be that it was just an exoplanet. Why, ju- why jumped, why even mention moon?
0: Because of the ratio
4: of sizes?
1: Yeah, but I guess the, the nature of the, of the effect was such that they're looking at two objects. That's, that's, that's the key is that because of the, um, it didn't just peak. It wasn't a nice sharp peak. It was sort of spread out. The increase in intensity was spread out and that, so that shape of the light curve would be explained by, two objects passing in front of the distant star, you know, orbiting each other. So, so they don't know if they're looking at, like, a planet going around a brown dwarf or if they're looking at a moon going around a Neptune-sized, you know, uh, gas giant. So, Evan, and maybe it is a rogue. Who knows?
0: Oh uh, Maybe, yeah. We'll see. I hope not. Your, your prediction
1: came true seven days before you made it. Yeah, no, but we'll... So, but I don't, I don't know, again, if we'll get any follow-up because it might have just been a one-time occurrence, you know? Just happen to get, catch it passing in front of a star. It's not like it's going to come back around. You know, it's not yeah. like it's going around its, its star. Let's go back to number one. Researchers find that human hunter gatherers follow a movement pattern that is the same as the foraging patterns of many animals, such as sharks and honeybees. Rebecca, you are alone in thinking that this one is the fiction. The guys think that this one is science and this one is science. Damn it. Mm. Oh, how quickly quickly the queen has fallen. Yeah. (laughs) The solo loss for Rebecca. Rare solo loss.
0: Oh, I'll make my comeback.
1: 100%. Everybody
0: likes
2: an underdog.
1: You've (laughs) (laughs) got plenty of opportunities. This is a marathon, not a sprint, Rebecca.
4: (laughs) But so far, you're losing. (laughs) 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 Wow. So... Bob, you pretty much
1: hit it. I mean, so this is um, – if there is a relationship among such different species and environments, what might you think that relationship is? And the answer, of course, has to be math, right? There's got to be a mathematical relationship mm-hmm. or description or pattern here that somehow is efficient and you have convergent evolution onto this pattern because – if you're looking for stuff in your environment, this pattern is the efficient way to do it. The 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 this uh pattern actually has already been described and is named. So this is called the Levy or Levy walk pattern. Uh that's L E V Y with an with an accent on the E. So the Levy walk describes a very specific pattern that's characterized by short trips in the local area. Punctuated by long trips to a new area. And then and then you sort of poke around that local area and then you make another long trip in another direction to another area. Does that make sense? Uh-huh. Yeah. So uh-huh. yeah. I like to so see bees a, a, will do that. They'll zip around one area, then they'll zip over to another area and then they'll buzz around that area. Sharks swimming around looking for stuff to eat will do the same thing. And hunter-gatherers walking around looking for, for game or whatever will do the same thing. So they, they, uh, this is a study looking at the Hadza people of Tanzania, which is like one of the few remaining tribes that, uh, is sort of unsullied, you know, by modern exposure and still is like a pure, considered like a pure hunter-gatherer group. Um, so they studied their, their hunting patterns and their gathering patterns are essentially they're exploring their environment and they, they followed, a uh, this Levy walk pattern. That's already been previously described. It sounds
2: like you, you could study the same thing by watching people in shopping malls. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It
1: seems to me just again, yeah, it's one of those, they, they, um, they likened it to the golden ratio where it's just this mm. mathematical pattern that shows up over and over again in nature because there, there's something to it. Well, let's go on to number three. A new survey of dinosaur species concludes that as many as half of known species sported some type of feather. And this one, of course, is the fiction. So, Rebecca, you kind of fell into the trap there because the writers of this study, in fact, say that because of all the dinosaurs being discovered with feathers, that has created this false impression that uh-huh. most dinosaurs had feathers. So it's when not in, just me, at least. <laughs> no, it's not just you. But when, in fact, when they do it, they did a, a survey, and the vast majority of dinosaurs had the typical scales that we used to always imagine dinosaurs having. Um, it's still only the small minority that of known species that have feathers, um, some some kind of feather, you know, quill filament or whatever. But they, the the uh, researchers are saying that you know dinosaurs probably have the genetic potential to have all kinds of modifications of their of their skin of their scales into other types of stuff. Now it's still not known how far back in the dinosaur line feathers go. This research suggests that it it doesn't go back that far because otherwise more dinosaurs would have inherited the feathers. But they said it, it could still be possible that it goes pretty deep into the origin of dinosaurs, and just was either lost or the, you know those dinosaurs that didn't have it predominated. Um, so, so we don't really have good um, impressions, you know, skin impressions of the old of the oldest dinosaurs. So we don't know if they had feathers or not. But again, this suggests that they probably didn't. That that was probably a later development, just among the line that led ultimately to birds.
3: Fantastic. So good work,
1: Bob, Jay, and Evan. Well
2: done. Hmm. Rebecca, happy new year. Yeah, screw you. Wow. (laughs) Screw all of you. No. No.
3: (laughs) Screw you, guys. (laughs) I'm going home. (laughs) I'm going home. All
1: right. So Jay, what's your first quote of the year?
3: Well, first off, I'd like to make a a correction from last week. So Allison – from Canada, emailed me. You Remember the doctor quote from last week? Yeah. It wasn't Charles Darwin speaking to the doctor. She emailed me a correction. It was Charles Dickens. Uh, Same difference. And she was she was worried that she was going to get in trouble. And uh, I, get you're not going to get in trouble, Allison. But do not cross me again. <laughs> <laughs> mm. This next quote is from a listener uh, named Doug Hickey from California, and Doug sent in a quote by Louis. Pasteur, and the quote is: "Science advances through tentative answers to a series of more and more subtle questions, which reach deeper and deeper into the essence of natural phenomenon."
4: Louis Pasteur. Louis Pasteur. Louis Pasteur. Louis Pasteur. There you go.
3: (laughs) There you go.
1: That's a good quote. I like that one.
3: Yep. Mm -hmm.
1: It says it. All right, well, guys, thanks for joining me for the first show of 2014. Thank you, Steve. Thanks. Thank you. Any time. Fifty more. One to go. Yep. And until next week, this is your Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe is produced by SGU Productions, dedicated to promoting science and critical thinking. For more information on this and other episodes, please visit our website at theskepticsguide.org, where you will find the show notes as well as links to our blogs, videos, online forum, and other content. You can send us feedback or questions to info at Also, please consider supporting the SGU by visiting the store page on our website, where you will find merchandise, premium content, and subscription information. Our listeners are what make SGU possible.